talking about. We take the text normally. We do not allegorize it. We do not spiritualize it. Um, and we believe that there is a church age that we are living in today. That church age, we are responsible for all that God has given to us through His Word. We have been saved by grace through Christ on the cross. We are literally saved by His blood. That is the church age. The next age to come, some people call this the next age, whether it is or not, it doesn't really matter. There is a seven-year tribulation time. That seven-year tribulation time is God's wrath upon this earth. And boy, do we deserve it. We deserve every... Matter of fact, we deserve much more than He's even going to give us. That tribulation time flows into what is called the kingdom age. According to Revelation chapter 20, that is the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ as He sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem and rules and reigns on this earth as we do with Him at this time in history, or at this time in, in future history, I should say, things will be sweet. Christ will not tolerate sin. It will be dealt with severely and immediately. And that end of that kingdom time, there will be a rebellion of those that followed the rules outwardly, but inwardly were of Satan. And those were people that had been born during the millennial kingdom, but have never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Those people will arise with Satan and come against Christ. You would think they had, they had heard about the tribulation and how God deals with ungodly mankind, but yet, no, no, they're still going to follow Satan and they follow Satan and God wipes them out. For a final battle, God throws Satan and all the cronies into the bottomless, eternal fire to be ever, forever, eternity in that fire judged by God. So we have talked about that. We know that the church age began after Jesus Christ came to this earth and then He ascended into heaven, and then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and indwelt believers. We believe that is the beginning of the church age. <clears throat> the church age ends at the rapture. At the rapture, there is no more church age. There is The, the church as we know it, quote-unquote, ceases to exist because they are taken home to be with the Lord. Now, there are post-tribulationists and mid-tribulationists that believe that that continues to the mid or to the end of the tribulation, but whatever you have, we believe in this church, we stand on the promises that of 2 Thessalonians. And by the way, we're going to talk about that this morning if we have time in 2 Thessalonians. The rapture of the church. After the rapture of the church, there is this Antichrist, according to what we've already studied, that comes to the forefront and makes a makes peace, if you will, with with the with the Jewish people, and builds a temple, another temple. This temple is built; it's in Jerusalem. 
midway through, as, as everything seems to be going well and wonderful, Judaism has their temple, they have their sacrifices, they can do as they please, they can worship. Midway during that seven year tribulation, three and a half years into it, the Antichrist creates what is called the abomination of desolation. He sets himself in the temple as God. And he does that because all these people are surrounding Jerusalem going to destroy it and he makes a treaty with them and he literally turns his back on the Jews and those that have trusted Christ and goes after them with a vengeance and tries to kill them. That is called the abomination of desolation. And actually, the abomination ends in desolation. That's how it actually reads. That abomination of desolation uh, then starts the what God calls Himself the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is the last three and a half years of the tribulation time. And those are the worst. The Bible says it's the worst the world has ever seen or will ever seen. It is that bad. It is horrible. The wrath of God on steroids, if you will. That ends with what we talked about last week. How many remember what we talked about last week? By the way, last week I had a blast preaching. I just it was I, I was refreshed for some reason. <laughs> and it praise the Lord. God just Jesus is coming again. Amen. And, and how it will be like the whole world will see Him come. The thundering, the lightning, the flash of light, the moon and the stars and the sun all bow down to worship Him as He comes in His great glory. What a great thing. The trumpet of the angels will sound. Just a phenomenal thing. That is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He comes immediately after the tribulation and yet the kingdom doesn't start for another about 75 days. We find the tribulation and all that in Matthew chapter 24. That's where we're at right now. <clears throat> and then there's the 75 days. This, I'm not sure what's going on. We're not sure. God has chose to keep that more to Himself than allow us to see into those days. So, and then by the way, we will have the kingdom in the fullness of the kingdom with Christ on His throne. What a great time that will be. Amen? For a moment in history, everybody on earth will be saved. But it will only be for a moment in history. And to be honest with you, I would... I would for a moment of history, Adam and Eve enjoyed holiness apart from sin. And then sin happened. There will also be a moment in history where all humanity will live and experience holiness and righteousness on this earth. That is immediately when <clears throat> all of the uns he, God judges the unsaved in this world and sends them out. At that moment, all people on the earth are saved. But as soon as a child is born, that changes. And many are born over a thousand years. And by the way, what, what, at the end of that, then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. 
So there really, if you look at it in a detailed sense, there's only two times in history where there was no sin in the world. Those two times are very short. And then God creates a new heaven and a new earth. All right. Remember we talked about uh, going through uh, um, those that are in the tribulation when the Antichrist is going after the Jews. Flee to the mountains. Get rid of it. Don't turn back. And, and, and you, we've known that from verse 20 uh, all the way down to chapter 24, verse 22. Don't believe people when they say, hey, Christ is on this earth just waiting to, to become king. No, He's coming in pomp and circumstance like you've never seen before. Amen? It will be a great day. We talked about that last week. This week we're going to talk about verse 27 through 31. Just as the lightning comes down from the east and from the west, that's what we talked about last week about this great trumpet and they will gather together. <clears throat> so the tribulation judgments according to the book of Revelation will be complete and devastating. I'm going to quickly go through this. I thought I had it right at the beginning, but I do not. Uh, uh, we talked about the vultures and what that means. Remember the vultures come to the dead carcass? Some people believe that's Jesus Christ. I, uh, Son of man will come in the clouds. We talked about that in Revelation and Psalm. And we showed you the trumpet of an ancient trumpet that they would have in their mind as Jesus Christ was giving it to them. Alright. I told you last week I would give you, remember when I said, pray that the running away from Jerusalem is not during the winter or during Sabbath. Last week I gave you the picture of a Sabbath stone which is a certain distance from Jerusalem, and that's as far as they could work, walk. <laughs> Walking is working. It's as far as they could walk, and then they'd have to go back, and then they could do nothing the rest of the day. That was their allotment. So we understood Sabbath religiously. Okay, pray that it's not on the Sabbath because they're going to have a conscience issue going on. But the second thing was, pray that your flight will not be in the winter. Well, it doesn't snow very often in Israel. It does snow, but not very often. And in the hills, it, sm it snows somewhat regularly, but not like here, obviously. There, I, I, I you know, pray that it's not in the winter. Why? Because it's really cold, and 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 there's going to be four feet of snow, and 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 that's not what's going on. Polar vortex will blow down in. That's not what it's like. All right. What winter concerning there is is flooding. The winter rains that, that are going all over the wilderness, they all, if you notice, they all come down into the Jordan Valley there. And this is a flooded Jordan Valley. Now, if you really re remember, the Antichrist is after the Jewish people. How, where are they going to go? They're gonna, they, first of all, which way are they going to go? To the east or to the west? Okay, they want to go east, right? They got to go east. Why? What's west? The Mediterranean Sea, there's a little blockage there. Um, they're going to go east. And God's going to hide them in the wilderness. And I've showed you those wilderness pictures. Can you imagine they're fleeing to the east and they run into the flooding because it's during the wintertime. That was the mindset 
of what was going on in that text. All right. That makes sense. I told you I'd give you the picture. I got you the picture. All right. Matthew chapter 24, verse 32 through 35 is where we're going to spend this morning on. And it's very, it's a very controversial passage. Very controversial passage. I'm going to try my best not to make it as controversial as it really is, because to be honest with you, it's not really all that hard in the overall picture. But if you're an allegorizing guy, I, 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 I sympathize with you. You're going to have a hard time with this. And so, Matthew chapter 24, verse 32, the Bible says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that He is right near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Um, one author, unfortunately, brought out the, the statement. He said, this one is really, really important because Jesus said it. You know, you know what? We, we need to understand that the whole Word of God, Jesus said. Uh, the red letters do not make it extra special. All right? Uh, yes, He did say it while He was on this earth. That is helpful. But don't relegate black. Don't be a, a, a word racist <laughs> that think that the red letters are more important than the black letters. That's just ridiculous. All Scripture is just as relevant as each other and just as important. Nothing's more important, if you will. Alright. So, the Lord's return, as we talked about it last week, will be as real and an historical event as the first coming was. Let me ask you, was there excitement over the first coming of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? I mean, here we are a month away. By the way, how many want to know what our hymn of the month will be next week? I will try to put that on Facebook. It is God with us. All right. We're going to learn that one for the rest of the month, next month. And the reason is, is it's Christmas, right? So here's the deal. Did Jesus Christ, was His coming at Christmas time 2,000 years ago, was His excitement? Did it have angels? Did it have talkings? Did it have lights? Did it have all those things? Yes or no? Yes, it did. Even though Christ was born in a humble manger, He had a host of angels talking to the shepherds. <coughs> that wasn't a normal thing. He had a star that shone before the, the, the kings, the wise men. It was excitement. It was, this will be just like, it'll be a grand thing. Believers will look forward to the return of Christ with their when their bodies will be redeemed, they will enter into the promised fullness of salvation. This morning we talked about in our CE hour how that, how that Adam was created holy, but yet untested. And when he was tested, he failed. 
And because of that, we have been given, imputed on us, guilt of His sin. Guilt that, that we are going to spend eternity in hell because we are in Adam. And we have been imparted upon us depravity. All of us have depravity. Literal depravity. Every, every thing that makes up of an atom that is in your body is saturated in depravity. It's extensive. We learned that and someday we will get the promised fulfillment of true salvation which is glorification. This mortal shall put on immortality. Man, what a thing that will be. Amen? What a great day that will be. In that day, Satan will be defeated. The curse lifted. Christ worship. Creation liberated and restored. Sin and death conquered. And the saints glorified. Amen? What a day that will be. Even though Christ told the disciples of signs that will precede His coming, including the supreme sign of His personal appearance, remember the disciples questioned what? Why, why did Jesus give us all this information? He did it because the disciples asked, when will you come again? How are we going to know? What's the timing? And Jesus is answering this. That is very important to know before we delve into this paragraph, a par- a parable. This parable summarizes and illustrates what he just said and it acts as a transition to his answer to the disciples concerning his coming in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. So let's first of all look at this parable. First of all, how do we know it's a parable? Doesn't a parable have like a little story to it and, and got all these things going on? And We know it's a parable because why? God says it's a parable, alright? God says it's a parable. This isn't that hard. It says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. Okay, so what is the parable of the fig tree? What is a parable? A parable is a story or a saying that illustrates a truth using comparisons or hyperbole or simile. It can be analogies and examples or models. An understanding of parables is essential if one is going to understand the teaching of Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus Christ used parables 35% of the time in his in his in his us uh, in the scripture 35% of the time how many say that's a lot of parables 35% of the time he did at no point are the vitality and relevance and appropriateness of his teaching so clear as they are in the parables While the parable form is not unique to Jesus, He was certainly a master of using this parable as a way of teaching. The parables are not merely illustrations for Jesus' preaching. They are the preaching, at least to a great extent. Nor are they simply stories. They have been truly described as both works of art and weapons of warfare, which are pretty awesome. 
How one interprets the parable is not an easy task, as one might think. The way that one understands the nature of the parable and the essence of Jesus' message obviously will determine the method and content of the interpretation. I will tell you this, context is everything. You've heard me say it many times, context, context, context. It's no more true than also in parables. It had a twofold purpose. So this is a par- this is a fig tree. This photograph was taken in late March in the Judean hills west of Jerusalem. So there you go. I mean, this is so when when the disciples heard learned the parable of the fig tree, this type of mindset would have been immediately in their mind. How many are excited to see that and know that? I think it's very important. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, uh, matter of fact, I think it was, I think it was the attack at AI. Day, uh, not David. What am I? Uh, um, Joshua and his army pitched a tent on a hillside that now is a uh, a um, fig grove on that mountain. It's quite interesting. Figs covered the area of the New Testament. The Holy Land is covered with fig trees. For instance, so using, a, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, wow, he used a fig parable. That must have some really super importance. How many have ever heard anybody talk about an oak tree as a, um, an illustration? Anybody ever heard oak trees? Oh, they're strong and mighty. You've heard, why would you use oak trees here? Or snow. Or lakes. How many understand that? You, they use something that will trigger in your mind, oh, I get that. I know what's happening. So this one is a fig tree because there's figs all over the area. The, 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 the geography of Israel is saturated with figs. A parable, like I told you before, is a story or a saying uh, using comparisons, hyperbole. There's a purpose to this parable and to every parable. Two purposes. The purpose in Jesus, it seemed as well that there was a mystery that is given to the in-group and that the out-group is prohibited from learning that mystery. How many understand that? Some people had ears to hear the parable, eyes to see the parable. Some people did not. He used that for a purpose. I tell you what, when you have Pharisees and Sadducees, the out-group, and then you have the disciples on the in-group, and Jesus gives a parable, and the disciples, these dumb men, are going, yeah, I get that. And they're like, I don't understand this. It really makes me mad. I'm the one that's supposed to be smart. How many understand that? That's going on. That's the dynamic of these parables. Now, the Bible says to learn the parable. Did you see that? Learn the parable. Why? Learn means to genuinely understand and accept a teaching. To accept it as true and to apply it to one's life. In other words, I want you not only to have knowledge about this, I want you to have wisdom about this. 
Why would he be saying this to the disciples? Well, someone, a preterist, how many remember what a preterist is? Someone who believes the prophetic things have already taken place in history. They believe that, okay, this has already happened because it happened in AD 70. So, therefore, the disciples then needed to learn what to do during this bad happening in AD 70. That would be their argument. I'm going to challenge that argument today. I think that's totally bogus. And I'm going to give you the reasons why. But I believe in this text, when he's saying you need to learn this, he's writing to readers that will in the future read this and therefore understand what to do. How many, does that make sense? By the way, do we ever hear of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, Peter? Um, so who else could I mention? Any other disciples fleeing from Jerusalem as fast as they can? Do you remember, do you remember the Bible talking about them running away, forgetting their cloak at the door? working in the field and taking out. Do you guys ever remember anything like that? It's because it didn't happen in AD 70. That's not true. Did the Bible tell us to leave our clothes? Whoever's living in Jerusalem, leave your coat. Don't go down if you're on the rooftop. Run away. Hope it's not in the Sabbath. Pray it's not in the wintertime. If you're in the field, don't get your coat either. Just run. How many remember those things? None of that took place in AD 70. We didn't hear none of it. Why? It's because this is written to a tribulational saint. That's why. This is written to tribulational people who are saved during the tribulation. Now, the Bible says this in the in, in the Uh, the parable itself, it says the branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. So before we get into all the nitty-gritty, let me explain this. This parable is not only difficult for those listening, but it seems particularly hard for commentators and theologians. Some interpreters, for instance, contend that the fig tree represents Israel. And that Israel became a budding fig tree when it became a political state in 1948. How many have heard this type of thing? Now, does the Bible say in other places that Israel will blossom like a rose? Isaiah chapter 35 does say that. So it will. So immediately, and this, is, this by the way is dispensationalists. Dispensationalists say, see, it's going to bud like the fig tree. It's going to blossom. It's gonna br That's not what this is talking about. They're wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to challenge dispensationalists. You're not right in that. This is not about Israel here. This, uh, this 
fig tree is not about Israel. Matter of fact, how many have ever heard of Warren Camp? Anybody? Good for you. <laughs> Warren Camp is one of those uh, hyper-dispensational guys, if you will. He says, this has to be talking about representing the nation of Israel being politically re-established into its land again. I will tell you this. If it all were talking about budding like a rope, it wouldn't talk about politics. I can tell you that. It'd be talking about Jewish people coming to know the Lord and a, and a great revival take place. And by the way, that happens. This is not talking about that. D please, please be careful. It's not talking about that. Uh, first of all, how do we know that, it's not, that Israel is not the fig tree? Jesus does not identify the fig tree as Israel. And by the way, Jesus does explain the parable after He gives the parable. I, I think it's so hilarious. How many have ever, it's sad actually, how many have ever heard of the parable of, of the sower? Remember the, the some saw fell on stony ground? Some, and, and, and everybody's like, well, what does that really mean? And, and let's dig into it and figure out what it means. Just read the text. It actually tells you what it means. And literally there are commentators who give their meaning opposite of what Jesus said the meaning is a few sentences later. I, do you get to that? <laughs> what are you doing? What is going on? In this view that, um, that Israel is the budding thing, although Israel is alive physically today, no one would ever give a charge that Israel is alive spiritually today. Matter of fact, it's one of the most secular countries in the world. It is not the Christian state at all. I will tell you, in God's eyes, there ain't no budding going on at all. There's no beauty at all. Not until they repent and turn to the Lord will there be. <clears throat> so, Jesus is using this fig tree just like we would use an oak tree today because they're plentiful throughout the old testament we find in judges and in jeremiah and hosea and joel that he uses the fig tree and i think once out of those he uses it about israel few figures would have been better known to the disciples than a fig tree because they were everywhere now the text says the branch, what is the, what is the parable? The parable is the branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves. What does that mean? When the sap begins to flow into the branches, that's making it tender. And new leaves start appearing on the tree. What do you know is going to happen next? What is, what, what is he talking about? The branch is becoming tender. There's sap running through it. And it starts putting out its leaves. 
immediately in your mind, even in northern Minnesota, we know exactly, even though it's like two weeks, we know what that's talking about. What time of the year is it talking about? Spring. It's talking about springtime. When everything is happy and beautiful and lovely and gorgeous and just breaking forth. But we know, we know we're out there in our gardens and what are we doing in the springtime? Late spring in northern Minnesota. But what are we doing? We're sticking an eye of potato in the ground. We're putting seeds in the ground. Why? Why are we doing that? We're doing it because we love to work and toil in our sandy soil or clay soil, whatever we may have? Or is it because we know that if we plant something, summer's coming, in three months, I'm going to be able to what? Harvest that fruit or vegetable. Is that not true? That's exactly what's going on here. He says, listen, the... the, the this, this idea of the, the, the spring is here. You, how do we know spring is here? Let me ask you, how do you know spring is here in northern Minnesota? Number one, the snow... Hmm. <laughs> starts to melt. Does it not tr- is that not true? The snow starts to melt. You go outside and these flea bugs are all over in the snow. The black things, you know. They're running around. The, the, the crocuses, this is for you, Mrs. Hurd. <laughs> the crocuses start pushing out of the snow and start blooming. The tulips start its way out of, the, out of the dirt. You see these things going and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the ice flow on the melt, uh, on, the, on the lakes start melting. The, the berms on the western, eastern side of the lake are filled with ice pushes up. You know what I'm talking about? We know these things up here. The leaves start to pop. The acorns start to start growing. We know this for a fact because this year, how many of you, unfortunately, were stuck without any apples on your apple tree this year? It's because spring came, but winter faked it out. And it froze all the blossoms. So many people did not get to harvest apples this year because spring did not produce what it needed to produce. They froze. This is the same thing that's going on here. And by the way, it's even more colorful than that because spring is there. You saw all these things going on, but we anticipate the harvest. That's exactly what is understood in this parable. Summer is near. And in far away. In northern Minnesota, 100 days between our frosts. Maybe a little bit more. There's not much. In, in our neck of the woods where we live, like in the lowland, like below sea level almost, <laughs> it is cold all the way sometimes till June we have frost. And it will freeze probably right around September 13th. That's not much time. Not much time at all. How many know spring, summer, fall, winter? How many know that? 
How many kids know that? Why do they know that? Because they experience it all the time. We know we're in winter when a Christmas tree goes up. We know in spring because the mud boots go on. We know it's summer because I can have shorts on. Well, I can't, but some people can. We know it's fall because the leaves are starting to fall. The turkeys are being killed. (laughs) We know these things, so it's very relevant in our heads. We understand them. And that's exactly why Jesus Christ uses them. He uses this. He uses this because He wants us to understand that, hey, harvest is close. Harvest is near. The time of separating unbelievers from believers and condemning the unbelievers to judgment is coming. John the Baptist spoke of us. He said, His winnowing fork in His hand thoroughly clear His threshing floor. He will gather His wheat into the barn and He will burn up the chaff with, with unquenchable fire. The harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, the Lord beseeches the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the what? Harvest. This harvest simile, if you will, or analogy, is so clear of what's going on during the end times. How many of you have ever grown carrots or onions? Man, we had a bumper crop of carrots this year. And they are so much better out of the ground. Just wipe that manure off and have at her. How many do that? Am I the only one? Everybody. Yeah. Anyways, you think, oh, they're so good. And then if you get a big one, they like break in the ground. They're so big. You got to get a pitchfork. But the point is, how many of you, when you grab those carrots or onions, onions the same way up here, how many know what un- grew onions? Yeah, this is a really hard area to grow onions. What happens is, when you plant your seeds, weed seeds grow faster than onion and carrot seeds. And onion and carrot seeds are like these little pieces of hair sticking out. How many, how many understanding this? And, and if you let those hairs grow a little bit, all of a sudden it's going to be like this green. Woo, where are they? Right? Where are they? Jesus had a parable earlier in Matthew that said the exact same thing. He said the tares, grow up, the tares growing up in your, in your seeds. In the good seeds that are growing, the tares are growing right amongst them. So what does He tell the, what does he tell the farmer? He says, listen, don't Touch the weeds. Why? Because if you pull them out, what's going to happen? Those hair-like fingerling carrots and onions are going to pull right out with, this, with, the, with the bad weeds. Don't do that. Wait until harvest, then pull them. He said that is a perfect picture of what takes place at the end of the tribulation. That is exactly what he is talking about. It's exactly what he's talking about. The parable of the wheat and tares, Jesus spoke to the farmer allowing the good wheat and the bad tares to grow together until harvest time when the tares could be accurately identified and then destroyed. In all of those instances, 
The harvest symbolizes a time of what? Rewarding for the righteous and punishing of the wicked. I'm going to grab these and they're going to be with me. And I'm going to take those and they're going into the... Everybody has one of these piles outside of their garden. What's it called? The compost pile, right? They just get chucked in there. Or they get burnt. By the way, a smart farmer burns them. Do you know what happens when you throw weeds in your compost pile? They dry. And then when you use the compost in your garden, you reintroduce and plant those seeds. Way to go. The point is, they grow together. And then when they're mature, God picks them out. So, what is this parable saying? Jesus was simply illustrating to the disciples that when the signs He has just been describing begin to transpire, the time of His return will be very near. Verse 33 and 34. Even so do you when you see all these things. Now He's giving you the example. He's saying, I'm going to explain it for you. When you see all these things, recognize that He is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So what is He saying? What are these things? Jesus actually explains it. He says, all these things. What are all these things? Let's look at chapter 24. Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples said, hey, tell us, give us signs. Give us, tell us what's going to happen. When are we going to see these signs? When are you coming? When's the end of the age? Jesus said, see to it that no man misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be frightened. Nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Family, and there will be famines and earthquakes on this earth. But these are just birthing pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations. At, the time, at that time, many will fall away and betray another. Many false prophets will arise. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the, one endures and, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony. Verse 15, the abomination of desolation. So what are all those things? All those things. Those are all signs that, hey, Jesus is coming near. We are closer today than we ever have been. Amen. But for those that are in the tribulation, specifically those that are in Jerusalem, they need to watch for these things that all and they will all take place. When Christ's appearing is near, He Himself will be near and the kingdom will be near. When those signs occur, the divine King will be right at the door, knocking, ready to come in. He's going to be right there when you see all these things. Now some people are looking for those things right now. Folks, 
This is talking about the tribulation period when we as the church will not be here. We need to warn people. Well, we're not going to see these signs. Or if we do, we'll see them from afar, like heaven. Then he goes on and says, this generation, do you see that? So even so to you, when you see all these things, all this list, he just showed you all this list, I just read it to you. Recognize that he is near. So what he's saying is, you saw the, the, the leaf budding, coming out of the fig tree. Recognize that the harvest is near. Do you see that? That's exactly what, it's not that hard. How many think that's not hard? Spring is here, summer's coming. Has it ever changed? It won't change. Spring goes into summer. Summer into harvest. These things are going to happen. This is what he's trying to tell them. Now, we have this issue of this generation. If you would look at this normally, we would have to understand that truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. If you looked at it, you would say, well, yeah, he's talking to the disciples. That generation, the degeneration of those disciples. Let me ask you, did Jesus come again during the life of the disciples? No. Okay, so experience tells us that can't be true. Does it not? But there's more to it than that. How do we know that this generation is a future generation? How many would like to know? We started when we started this teach this passage, we explained some of these things to you. So here's seven of them. Uh, I'm sorry. This generation, this is how it this is how it's understood. Number one, some people believe that this generation means the immediate generation Jesus is physically talking to, the disciples. And what they answer that with is this. Because in A.D. 70, not 40 years later, the destruction of Jerusalem happened. In other words, they view this prophesying by God to be a historical event in A.D. 70. Okay, that is a preterist mindset. How many understand this? Are, am I not helping you? Are you following? Either a lot of people are tired or I'm, I'm shooting blanks. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Alright, so some people say immediate generation. That means the generation of Peter, James and John, Paul. That generation will see all this stuff. This will, it will not pass away and I will return. Well, they believe that's true because of the destruction of Jerusalem. I will talk to you in a little bit to tell you all the things that happened according to the text that didn't happen at the destruction of Jerusalem. That's not true. Number two. Some of them believe that this generation equals the church age. They allegorize the generation to be the church age. So in other words, yes, this generation... It's the change of the church, and that's what we live in. It's allegorized, 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 and they wipe everything off the slate. 
It's not, it's, it's a dangerous thing. That's covenantal theologians that would do that. Then there's a third view, and that third view is a future generation of the tribulation. That is a dispensational view. That is taking this to mean Jesus is saying the generation that sees all of those things is the generation will not pass away until I come again. In other words, here's the deal. How many would say that generation is 40 years? How many would agree with that? Okay. So would you say that seven years is definitely within the same generation? Absolutely. That's exactly what he's talking about. It is going to be seven years. We'll see these signs. The tribulational saints will. And they that see the signs will see Him come again. That's what it's saying. Does that make sense? I will explain that to you by giving you seven reasons why it's future generation. I'm not going to... Here's the problem with allegory. Number one, allegory cannot be defended well because anything can go. Whatever you pull out of the sky may or may not be right. You can't do that. There's no way to proof that. Number one. Number two, being that it's a preterist thing. No, not at all. He didn't come. You're, it, it's it's, it's going to get really bad. So, here's the deal. Did Jesus say this generation will not pass until I come? Is that what He said? It's exactly what He said. So here's what's going to happen. Did Jesus come when the disciples were alive? Yes or no? What does that make Jesus? You can't trust Him. You just made Him a lot. How many follow that? If this is AD 70, then... Jesus is a liar because He's not come back yet. Not only that, but there are many other things. Number one, reasons why it's future. Number one, there have been no labor pains. What are the labor pains? All these things. The things I just... Abomination of desolation. Famines. Earthquakes. And, and, and the list goes on and on and on. That list... There have been, there were no labor pains. They haven't come yet. COVID's not on the list. There's no enduring to the end. Man, Peter gave a good shot, but he didn't endure to the end. He gave it at all, but didn't make it. How, how many understand this? That makes zero sense. Not at all. And I'm giving you verses at the end of these. By the way, there's a trick I learned in, in seminary. And that is, I have my phone up all the time now. When I have all this up there, just go click. And now you got all the notes. <laughs> no worldwide evangelism. In 70 AD, was the world evangelized by the church? We know for a fact that's not true because P, uh, Paul wanted to go where because it hadn't been churched yet. 
He wanted to go to Rome and he wanted to go to Spain. Do you remember that? Because why? They hadn't heard the gospel yet. No worldwide evangelism has taken place. When was the abomination of desolation? The abomination of desolation is this, and this is so important. If you read this the way it says it, abomination of desolation. It's an abomination that takes place within the temple that makes it desolate. Here's the deal. Titus destroyed it. Then went to the destroyed temple and said he was a god. That, that did not desolate the temple. How many understand that? There was a destruction that took place. They destroyed it. Then the abomination. By the way, uh, Epiphanes, uh, uh, Antiochus, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and I would add Titus are simply shadows of what this is to be. It is not the actual thing. Okay, where is the great tribulation? Here's, here's what really frustrates me. In AD 70, it was grotesque, it was sick, it was disgusting. And thousands, maybe millions of Jews were slaughtered. Here's the issue. What happened in 1945? Millions of Jews were slaughtered. The Bible says that the Great Tribulation is worse than it ever was or ever will be. It's almost anti-Semitic to say that the Holocaust pales in comparison to A.D. 70. If you follow Scripture. Did you follow that thinking? Which one was worse? There was no great tribulation. When's the last time we saw the moon turn to blood? The ocean, third of the dead. When did that happen? It hasn't happened yet. It's future. Jesus isn't back. Covenant theologians say, oh yes He is. He's in the hearts of all believers. That's how He came back. Listen folks, if that's true, then what hope did every Christian want in the New Testament. The hope of His return. The great hope. Is not that our great hope? You can't just dismiss Jesus coming again because He lives in our heart. That's ridiculous. There is this hope that Jesus is returning. Why? He says so. We just talked about it last week. No Son of Man has appeared. That generation, the generation of the disciples, saw none of this. Zero. That generation, Jesus is not talking about this generation. Let me ask you this. Did, and they would argue this. As a matter of fact, I, went, I got so wrapped up into this. It just 
through my mind in a tizzy in frustration. I was uh, reading a, a paper done by a covenant theologian saying, well, um, Jesus never, never talked about anything except for the people around Him. It was never about people that would later come. What is prophecy? Not only prophecy, what, what, what is before the foundation of the world? It just doesn't make sense. It's insane. Jesus, matter of fact, the prophets were always talking about what was going to happen to people in the future. How do we know that Israel is going to have a kingdom? The Old Testament prophecies are talking about those people that will enjoy Jesus Christ as King. That's exactly what's going on here, except they're not rejoicing. He's trying to save them during the tribulation physically. How many recognize that this is a future generation? It's not a, a, a past destruction of Jerusalem. It's not the church. Neither of those things work. Jesus is simply answering the disciples' questioning, question concerning when He is coming. This parable is not hard. It's not hard at all. The parable, if you are going to say it, would say it like this. Those who witness the birth pains will witness the birth. It's that easy. Those who witness the birth pains will... <clears throat> will witness the birth. The birth being the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Alright. Now, I've gone way ahead of my notes. Hang on. By the way, there were no famines and earthquakes. There were no believers being hated by all the nations. There were no false Christs and false prophets. There were no preaching of the gospel in the whole world, abomination. None of that. The sun wasn't darkened, the moon extinguished, the stars died. By the way, if the sun was darkened, the moon extinguished, and the stars dislodged from their places, do you think one of the historians would have wrote about it? What do you think? None of that has happened yet. All of it will happen at the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that it will occur very soon after those signs are witnessed. All these things, that's what the parable says. Before the generation who sees them has a time to pass away. He is speaking to the same prophetic generation, the distant you throughout the whole text. He's been doing it. Remember context, context, context? Remember the, the text says in verse 4, you will do this. In 6, you will do this. 9, 15, 25. And then he says, then he says, read this. Pay attention to this. Read this. He wouldn't say that if he was talking to the person listening to him. How? Just think about this, alright? I, I don't know if you're following me on this. It seems a little hard that you're not. But 
If this is that generation of disciples, why would Jesus say, read this so you know? Why would He say that? How many understand? First of all, could they read it? Not until the late 60s, early 70s could they read it. Oh, where does that get us? After the... Folks, there were maybe a couple of copies of Matthew, maybe in sixties, late 60s. Maybe. But no one had this in their hand before. Very not shouldn't say no one, that's not true. Very few, if anyone, had it in their personal possession by AD 70 when this supposedly happened. How many get this? Now, it's hard to, to give a date of the writing, but it's generally accepted. Here's the general accepted date, 68 to 72. But here's the deal. 68 to 72, let's just say that's correct. I'm not saying that's absolute because I don't know and nobody really knows exactly. Let's say that is. Do you know when Titus surrounded Jerusalem? A.D. 68. <laughs> Do you know when he sacked Jerusalem? A.D. 70. This generation being the disciples' generation cannot work. It does not work. <clears throat> There's some passages of Scripture that deal with this, that why this is not talking about us today. <clears throat> One of those is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. God will do what? What will God do? Bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Where's the church? Where is it according to this text? Caught up together with Him. Amen? That's exactly where the church is. So who is this talking about? It has to be talking about. By the way, as soon as the church leaves, two things. The church is made up of whom? Jews or Gentiles? It's a trick question. Both. Those that have put their trust in Jesus Christ. Is that not true? That constitutes a church. 
at the rapture, at this, what we call the caught up of Christ, how many Christians remain on this earth? Zero. But we know from the text that then people become Christians. Why? 144,000 are saved. Two witnesses are given to us, given to them by God. And then people are slaughtered during the tribulation because of who? Their name Jesus, right? So we know that, that ha that's who Jesus is talking to. That's why he says, read this. It's not the people going to go through AD 70. It's the people that are left here on this earth after the tribulation. Are you following this? Now, can we go to the bank on this? Are we sure about this? Well, <clears throat> Jesus says explicitly that both heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. What does that mean? Will it? Yeah, it will. Because at the end of the kingdom, we started with this, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven, the old earth will pass away. Does the world think, apart from the nut jobs, <laughs> does the world think it will pass away? We're going to live forever here. We're fine. We're not. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I'm not a liar. I'm telling you the truth. You can guarantee this. My words will not pass away. What are His words? These are the signs that I am coming again. And I am coming again. We have not seen those signs yet. Because we are not there yet. Nor will we be there. The tribulation saints will. Luke 16 talks about this. You know, I will tell you this. These, these theologians that believe that Jesus was just... They're kind about it. They say... Jesus was just mistaken when he said this. When he said this generation, they literally say, they have to say it. They literally say he was just mistaken. Why? Because he didn't know the time and the hour. Let me ask you is Jesus ever mistaken? Does Jesus willingly and knowingly choose not to know the time or the hour? Yes. But He does know the signs before the hour. Do you see the difference there? Because God's Word is God's Word. He cannot lie. It is all truth. The Bible says it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one stroke of a letter of the law that is His Word to fail. It's not possible. Psalm 119 is so perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. When I read that, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise, I immediately think of the disciples. Making wise the simple. The the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yea, than much fine gold. No, there's a a TV show called, is it Gold Rush or something like that? And man, these guys spend Billions of dollars trying to find millions of dollars of gold. The greatest treasure in our life stands in our hands today. God's Word. There's nothing more treasurous than that. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. In keeping with them there is great reward. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of the, of the earth. Refined seven times, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. Man, how many can see the controversy of this text? It also is very simple. Let me ask you. Who needs this truth? Who needs this? Is the church going to need it? No. It's the saints that were saved during the seven-year tribulation period. That's what this is about. That's the prophecy Christ said was going to happen and his words cannot be questioned how dare we question them amen he's coming again we must be about the business of sharing the gospel so others may know jesus is totally reliable in what he says mr zarin can you come please and close in prayer Heavenly Father, we come before you. Father, it says in the Word of God, the book of James, to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and testing. Father, there are many in our church facing tests. Father, it's hard to rejoice when your heart is breaking. God, I pray that we would be able to focus on you as we go through these various things. Father, we pray for for Pat and Pam as they struggle with different things, and God, help them again to recover and come back to fullness. Pray for, again, for Carmen and for Gloria and for Tom, for his salvation. And Father, so many others that we don't really have time to name. But God, help us again just to realize that nothing happens to us. But we know that it comes from the hand of a loving Father. Help us, Father, to realize that and rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.